Father in heaven, we just thank you once again this morning, Lord. We confess, Lord, as we have sung this morning, Father, we worship you with our giving that we need you, O Lord. What can we give you, O Lord? Everything that we need, you have provided. All that that we need, your hands have provided. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, as we prayed this morning, as we heard in our prayer, Lord, the greatest need is you. Lord, we need you this morning for everything, Lord. We confess it, that without you, we can do absolutely nothing. We're bankrupt without you. Unless you empower us in everything that we do, to speak, to obey, to listen, your voice, unless you quicken us, the greatest question would be the way you asked Ezekiel, Son of man, can these dry bones live? And all that Ezekiel could say, Lord, only you know. And therefore, this morning, unless your breath quickens us, Lord, we confess that we can do nothing, even speak or listen or obey. Therefore, we pray, Father, for your anointing to rest over us. Lord, in everything that we do, let your anointing come and let your anointing teach us all things and let your anointing empower us to obey the truth that we heard. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this morning, um, even as we uh, are in the 12th year of our church, um, we heard about one king last uh, Sunday about Jehoshaphat and all that he could say, Lord, my eyes are on you. And God taught him and God fought for them. And this morning we just look at another another passage in scripture uh, titled to my today's message is um, from fear to faith to surrender. There's a this, there's a there's a progression, uh, and and if you look at the Old Testament, uh, particularly you'll see, you'll see that these patterns coming. Uh, initially, all God's people fear, and then uh, they have some inclination of faith rising up inside of their hearts slowly. Uh, when, like Gideon, uh, God comes and gives him assurances, gives him signs and wonders to increase his faith. And then after a period of time, there comes a point when God needs absolute total surrender. And once you are surrendered to God, to his purposes, to his will, to his ways, to his plans in your life, that is when he begins to work in our lives and to make us into a blessing. Therefore, that's typically the progression. And I want to look at a particular passage today in the Bible. But let us, let me uh, first go to First Peter chapter 2 uh, to put this entire sermon in context. It says, you are a chosen generation. This is verse 9 onwards. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 onwards. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people. And of course when Peter is writing this, he's, he's, he's having Hosea in his mind. He's saying, like Hosea said, not my people and now you become my people. So once you were not a people, but are now people of God. Once you have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then he says, very, very powerful, beloved, I beg you. This is verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. See, we have, once you are born again, you are, you have entered into warfare. 
there is no neutral ground. This absolute war. There's a battle within your own self, with your old man, with your flesh. There's a battle with the world. And then there's a battle with the enemy. Then, and Christian life, we know, is a three-part battle. Okay, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And we need to factor in all these three when we are fighting. Some people just say, you know, devil made me do it. No. Not necessarily all the time. Okay. Devil can tempt you, but he will not make you do anything. It's the flesh inside of you, your corrupt nature, which gets tempted. It says God does not tempt anyone, but any everyone is drawn away by his own desire when he's enticed. When a desire is conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is brought forth, it brings forth death. Therefore, all of us have to battle, have a battle, this threefold battle. You have the flesh, fleshly lusts which war against your soul. And First Peter chapter five will say, "Be sober" means don't be drunk with wine, or be 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 alert, or rather, don't don't be intoxicated with the world. Be sober, be vigilant. Be alert, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So devil is not going to stay quiet once God's people, once you are born again into God's family. There is going to be, there is constant battle with the demonic realm. Okay, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see that? So there's a battle with your flesh, there's a battle with the world, uh, with the devil, and then 1 John chapter 5 verses 4 onwards will say, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That means you have to battle the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, which is our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And John 16 verse 33, Jesus puts it very clearly, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you have three prong attack always at you. And we as believers have to be prepared. He teaches our hands for battle and our fingers of our teachers have hands for war and our fingers for battle. He is a God is a God of war. And therefore he is teaching us and he is not going to, uh, uh, it says in Josh, Joshua, it says, every place where the sole of your foot is placed, I have given you that land, but you have to fight. You're not going to get it easy. Okay. So we have to fight. We have to battle. Just because the Lord has given it, given it to us does not mean that he's going to drive it for us in, without our, uh, Without our cooperation with him. God has to cooperate through us. He needs us to fight and he wants us to fight. And uh, God is always uh, there and he says, I've already given you the battle. We don't, we don't, uh, as we keep hearing, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. So this morning we look at one particular king, Hezekiah. And this is essentially not uh, so much the battle um which is outside, yeah, it is a battle, it is outside, but there's something inside of each one of us. How do we fight those personal battles when the enemy tempts us? How does he come and voice his thoughts? And how does he camouflage his uh, deception? You see, there are at least four uh, adjectives the Bible uses for the devil. First adjective is a lion. 
What kind of a lion? A roaring lion and it's a crouching lion. Okay. And if you look at, if you see National Geographic, most of the time lions hunt in the dark. Because their vision is very, very powerful in the dark. And when you are, when, when it is in the dark, when it is in the dark, it always gives the lion an already an advantage because the other animal is not accustomed to the dark. So that if you walk in sin, you're walking in darkness and you become the prey for the lion. Okay. The other is the serpent which deceives. Okay. There's no neutral. I mean, it's not like, you know, you see a serpent and you just throw a stone that goes that way and you go this way. No. Doesn't happen. Okay. See? A serpent, a lion, a thief. A thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. That's the enemy. When, when your guards are down, when you are, when you are, when you least expect him to attack, that is when he attacks. So be constantly on your guard. There's several adjectives, at least three I've mentioned. But this morning we'll just look at a passage in the Old Testament and of course we'll look at one, um, successful king. Um, we looked at one successful king last time, Jehoshaphat. We looked at another guy, not, perhaps not as successful as Jehoshaphat. In terms of spiritual success, but definitely uh, a, a guy who followed the Lord, and who, God has some really, really interesting thing, things, commendations to say about this king, which He never used about any other king. Of course, I'm not talking about Josiah. I'm talking about his grandfather, Hezekiah, and he's found in Second Kings chapter 18. And let's read from verse one onwards. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the king of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. And if you know anything about Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings, okay, one of the most wicked kings, and Hezekiah, his, his son, is his son. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, Interestingly, his mother's name is given. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. So obviously, um, Hezekiah, at least the way I uh, read into this scripture, it, it seems that Hezekiah had a strong influence of his mother in his life. Okay, so whatever Hezekiah was, I believe it was it was because of his mother. His mother was possibly a very strong believer. Let's move on. And he did that which was right. In the sight of the Lord, according to all that the father, that his father David had done. You see, just because he had an ungodly father, he did not choose his father's ways. He always chose a mentor who was godly. Okay? And you see, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Okay? We'll come to that. Rightness is not in your own sight. Every man's way seems right in his own eyes, but who measures God's, his ways? God measures his ways. You see, it has to be in the sight of the Lord. It has to be right. Okay, let's, uh, let's see that, it, that what, what he had done and a few things that, uh, that are mentioned. Uh, what kind of, what is this right? It has been qualified in 2nd Chronicles chapter 31. This is what it says about, uh, Hezekiah. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, he did that which was what? Good, okay, right, and true before the Lord. And in every work that he began, 
in the in the service of the God, of the house of God in the law and in the commandment to seek his God he did it with all his heart so he prospered you see how did he do right first he did good he did right and he did true you see all these things have to come together just because something is good it need not be true just because something is right according to you it need not be true for example i don't have a very distinct color vision okay my wife asked me what is this what color is this i say it is brown and he says how can you call this brown it is red i said okay and she asked come here come here come here sister you come here what color is this sister says red another brother also maybe what color is this that is red so everybody is saying i mean this is objectively they're looking at something and they're saying that is red but i feel it is brown now just because i feel right about it that does not necessarily have to be true you see right has to be true good has to be true truth is something which is not variable goodness and rightness can change but everything has to be this is a kind of a triangle you see uh, pastor was talking to uh, to uh, our parents meet uh, in our parents meeting the other day and he was saying truth is something which is constant it says god is truth the spirit is truth jesus says i am the truth the word is truth john's gospel chapter 17 verse 17 and first first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says the church is the pillar and ground of what truth you see everything has to be measured by truth which is before god not your truth you see and so what what did hezekiah do he did what that which was good that which was right and that which was true in the sight of god that is how he started off his life and you see how did he i mean he eventually progressed to that path but how did he start off look it says in first kings chapter 18 verse second uh, kings chapter 18 verse 4 onwards he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that moses had made for until those days the children of israel burned incense to it and called it nehutsan so nehutsan nehutsan nehustan sorry nehustan you see he what did he remove he removed the high places he removed the pillars he broke the wooden images and he broke in, broke in pieces the bronze serpent no think about it no during moses's time was the bronze serpent bronze serpent good yes it was good some one but over a period of time what has happened this bronze serpent had become a kind of an idol see sometimes traditions can become an idol church traditions can become an idol and people will put god in that box and say you know god has to function in this box only this is how i interpret scripture and god has to fall in this interpretation only see and god and he had to break and you just imagine this uh, nehushtan whatever idol was there for 800 years after moses in other words it existed during the time of moses after moses it existed during the time of joshua joshua did nothing the judges did nothing samuel did nothing david did nothing solomon did nothing saul did nothing several kings did nothing then came hezekiah and he got rid of it 
That such was his zeal. He wanted to absolutely, with all his heart, repent and turn back to the Lord. And if you see, I mean, if you you can re- read the parallel account in Second Chronicles, it says he did, uh, he repaired the temple. He got rid of all the trash which was in the holy place and the most holy place, all the idols. It took sixteen days for the cleansing. He consecrated the priests. There were not sufficient priests to do the sacrifices, so he trained them and he gave them time so that they could. Come and, I mean, he reestablished the priesthood and then he he celebrated the Passover for seven days, not during the actual time, some other day. He prayed for the people. And after seven days of Passover, they said, should we stay back for another seven days? They all stayed back. They all rejoiced. Tremendous repentance, tremendous conversion, tremendous reformation. And all of Judah and Israel... By this time Israel became in Judah, uh, the, king, the kingdom of Israel was divided into the northern part and the southern part. But people in both parts of Israel, the northern kingdom as well as the southern kingdom who were a part, who were, who were faithful to the Lord their God, they came and they worshipped and they, you know, there was tremendous reformation. That is how he started off. You see, faithful absolutely. Repentance was, was, was radical. And verse 5 it says, he trusted, notice that word, trusted. Okay, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, clung to him in other words. He did not depart from following him, but but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued, subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to the fortified city. He was faithful in following the Lord. And the moment you start growing in your repentance, what should you expect? War, fight, battle starts. Now that is when you are introduced to this battle. Second Chronicles chapter 32 verse 1. This is what it says. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to to win them over to himself. He, He had the intention of winning over all the fortified cities in Judah. That is how it starts. Battle starts. What do you want to do? What did Sennacherib want to do? Thinking to win them over to himself. By the way, the word Sennacherib comes from two words in Aramaic. Sin has no bound. But this is not sin as in sin. Sin is the God sin. Sin has no bound. Okay, fine. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over his intention was to win over the fortified cities in Judah. That is how the account in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles states. And look at what it says in Second Kings chapter eighteen. And in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all of all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. First, it was his intention to capture them, and after a while, he took them. You see, what happened here? There was a battle. And what happened? When the battle started, suddenly God allowed defeat to happen. If you look at the 
the account, I didn't go into the details, it says, Seneca, I mean, the Assyrians came, they captured the northern kingdom, took them captive, and replaced the northern kingdom with, with their own people. Okay? And they wanted to do the, do the same with the southern kingdom, Judah. And Hezekiah said, okay, fine, his intention is to capture Judah. And suddenly, after a while, he takes over certain provinces in Judah. There is a temporary defeat which is allowed by God. Now, one of the things I have realized, you know, how the enemy argues with us. Do you think uh, you are the only Christian, I mean, you are, you are the only Christian who can stand? You, have you seen all the big, big people? David fell. Peter fell. Moses fell. Elijah fell. What makes you think that you can stand? What makes you think that you can stand? And sometimes God allows you to fail. So when you fail, what do you do? Do you easily give up? It's a question. You see? God allows failure. It starts off like that. You know, every time when there is a battle, most of the times, the first jump you fall. Have you seen Neo? Neo took the first leap and he fell. But he thought they knew that he was the one. But he still fell. You see, this is what God does. He allows failure to come into our, into our lives so that we can begin to understand what we are in our own self. That without him we can do nothing. He allows that. Let me show you this principle. It's found in Luke's Gospel chapter 22. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, thank God, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And we know what Simon did very well. Right? Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And what happened to Simon? Did he fail? Absolutely, he failed. Did God allow that failure? Absolutely, God allowed that failure. And what did Simon do? John's Gospel, chapter 21. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other others of, others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I am going fishing. Done with my Christian life. I don't deserve to be a disciple. Please, let me go back fishing. Let me go back to my old ways. Let me go back to my old profession. That is what I know best. I'll prosper there. They said to him, we are also going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. So what happened to Mr. Hezekiah? The moment he saw some of the fortified cities were taken over, what did he do? Came to Judah and took them. So what did Hezekiah do? Look at what it says. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. Whatever you impose on me, I will. Let us make a deal. I pay you, you leave me alone. Okay? So what did he do? And the king of Assyria says, Hezekiah, 
king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. Where What was compromised? All that was found in the house of the Lord, all the treasuries in the king's house. And then what did he do? Let's, let's read on further. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. What did he do? He compromised. In other words, he said, fine. You want it? Take it. So where is the money? No money. So simple. Go to the temple, take away all the money and give it to him. Take away all the gold and give it to him. I've seen that happening in, even in our own lives. The moment you have some pressure, some financial pressure that comes into your life, what goes out? Tithes will go out. Giving to the Lord stops. stops. See? Immediately. Immediately what gets affected is your worship. That gets affected. You know, that is the reason why I say, let us worship the Lord with our giving. That's what we say, right? Let us worship the Lord. What gets affected in your life? You know, that's exactly what happens even in your own companies. You want promotion? Hmm? Okay. You have to work on Saturday. You have to work on Sunday. Deadlines. Pressure. What gets compromised is the house of God in your life. Spiritual things gets compromised all the time. See, See, whenever you factor in anything in your life, what comes first in your life? Do you factor in God first or anything else first? That is your God. Safety first. It's too risky. I mean, many people don't know. It's too risky. Whatever you're doing is madness. It's too risky. Now, as if what you're doing is not risky. Can you guarantee? After the service, you will be alive. That means you're also risking going onto the road. We all live on the cutting edge of risk. We all live on the cutting edge of risk. That's the reason why James said, you know what? Don't say tomorrow we will go to this such and such a town and we will make money. Na, 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 na. What do you think? Your life is what? A vapor. A vapor. If the Lord wills, we will do this, we will do that. Everything, see, giving to the Lord becomes risky. Doing for the Lord becomes risky. There's no security. So what happens, the first thing that gets compromised in your life is your worship, is your is your factoring in of God in your life. God doesn't come first. Somebody else comes first. Something else comes first. And you know something? You give enemy a small foot in your life, he will take not even a square kil- a kilometer, he will take a square kilometer. It's like the Arab's camel. First his neck, then his shoulder, then his body, then the camel in Arab out. That's exactly what happens to the devil. You just give him a little toehold. That is the reason why it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Do not give what? Space for the devil. Let not the sun go down on your anger and do not give what? Space to the devil. See, don't give him even a foothold. Because that's his, that the moment you start giving him a little compromise, he knows. See, you have to be absolutely sure. In your own heart, you should say, Lord, show me areas in my life I know you know that I will compromise. Show me, Lord. And let me work upon them. 
where I will compromise. Immediately, convictions go out of the window. God becomes second. That is the reason why in John's Gospel chapter 10 verse 10 it says, the thief does not come except to steal. So what does he do? He wants to grab away from you, then he wants to kill and then he wants to destroy. You see, he is not just he is just not satisfied with stealing your, let's say, your 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 gifts. He might he might steal your crown, let's say. Okay, you lose your crown, but you still at least enter into heaven without a crown. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just want you to lose your crown. He also wants you to die before you finish your purpose. And he doesn't want you to just die. He also wants to destroy you. Meaning, what is destroy? The word to destroy is to fall away. Fall away into hell with him. That's what he is looking for. So you give a little space and he enters and he just ambushes you. You know the word for thief in the original Greek, you know what it actually means? The one who breaks through suddenly when least expected. One who breaks through suddenly when least expected. It happens very, 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 very slowly. Slowly it happens. You see, one day at a time, one stone at a time, one brick at a time, two bricks, three bricks, and slowly, 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 you see a big hole and the enemy has already come in and stolen everything from your life. If you've seen that movie, Shawshank Redemption. Okay. The last scene, Andrew Dufresne disappears from prison. Right? Remember? Andrew Dufresne disappears from prison. And uh, they enter into his cell. He's not there. Absolutely everything looks normal. The poster is on the wall. Everything looks normal. And the warden is totally surprised. And he says, what has happened to this man? How did it disappear? It's a miracle. And he gets frustrated, he takes the stones and starts throwing the stones at every one of his guards and accidentally he throws a stone at the at the poster and the poster makes a hole and after a while there's a huge tunnel that has been formed by this, by this guy who escaped. And how did this tunnel form? Over 15 years in prison, this fellow one day at a time, slowly, slowly dug up this, dug up that, dug up this, dug up that, without anybody's knowledge, and one day it was a hole, nobody knew when he disappeared. That's exactly what what the enemy does. Slowly, without your knowledge, he will come slowly, he will take away this, take away that, dig away this, take away that, and suddenly, your purpose is lost, your interest in God's God's ways are lost. Your interest in spiritual things are lost. You don't have joy of worship. There's, a, no, there's no joy of fellowship. You, you don't like your brother. You don't want to fellowship in the church. What has happened over a period of time? Everything is lost because there's a hole. Slowly he has come. He has broken through without your knowledge and he has stolen. You see, that's exactly what the enemy does. So be careful. Don't take anything for granted. And you know what he says? Do you think you will you'll succeed? So many people failed. You think you will succeed? You see, you know what we should tell the enemy? I will fail. But with God, I will succeed. I will. Otherwise, he has not promised anything without reason. I will. Okay. Let's move on. Then let's move on. And then when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, now what happens? Sennacherib had come, Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. You see, he took the fortified cities now 
And you know what? Hezekiah said, okay, okay, okay. I'll compromise with you. I'll give away all, all my, all the gold and silver in my temple. And I thought, I, he thinks that Sennacherib is going to leave him and go. You know what next Sennacherib does? He wants to come to the core. He wants to come to the center. He wants to come to that place in your life where Jesus is in the throne. Jerusalem. He wants to steal that peace. He begins to make war against Jerusalem. That was his purpose. Now suddenly, first he feared, suddenly Hezekiah gets up. He consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which are outside the city and they helped him. Let's go on. And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, built another wall outside. Also he repaired the, uh, repaired the Milo, which is essentially a rampart, in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him to the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement saying, you know what did he say? He said, be Strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed before the king of Assyria, not before all the multitude that was with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now he says, come on guys, let's take a stand. It's enough now. You know something? In your life, there should come a point where you should say, Lord, this is enough now. This is enough. Enough. The enemy has come and stolen things in my life. Let's stop now here. Let me take a stand. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah. By the way, the word Hezekiah, you know what it means? Yahweh is my strength. That's what it means. Yahweh is my strength. And the people strengthened by the what of Hezekiah? The words of Hezekiah. Words have power. The words have strength to build you up. And he encouraged them and he says, come on guys, take a stand. And when the leaders take a stand, you know what? People get encouraged. He took a stand. Then what happens? Do you think the enemy stops? This is what he does. Second Kings chapter 18, verse 17 onwards. Let's look at each of the ways the enemy comes and attacks him. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rapsaris, and the Rapshake from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fullest field. And then what happened? And when they had called to the king, then Rapshake said to them, say now to, say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war. But they are mere mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? What a question. You know the first thing people will ask you, what is the basis for your trust? The enemy will come and ask, what is the basis for your trust? On what are you standing? What is the basis? You see, people in the world, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, none of the princes knew the mystery. Had they known the mystery, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, for you and me, 
and for people outside, when you walk with the Lord, the walk of faith is a mystery for several people. It's a mystery. They don't understand. Nobody understands the walk of faith. You make decisions for your children, for example. What is the basis for your faith? They don't understand. What is this? Taking children out, doing homeschooling? What is this? How can you? What is the basis for your faith? You see? They don't understand. It's a mystery. And the ways of God should be a mystery. It's hidden from the eyes of the world. It's hidden. I mean, I can only explain, tell myself from my life, no? I finished my PhD defense. My, my external advisor looked at me and he said, Vijay, I heard something. I said, sir, you're becoming pastor. I said, yes, sir. Okay, that is okay, but money kaha saayega? Salary? It's a mystery. Now, even today, for me, it's still a mystery for me. It's a mystery. What is the basis for your trust? What is the basis? Look at you. Defeated fellows. And look at my army. And he is going to taunt them. Taunt them silly. It's a hidden mystery. Only you and I know. It comes from a relationship with God. It comes from communion with God. It says a message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is the wisdom of God. It's hidden from the world. Nobody understands this. That is the reason why, you know what Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 will say. Look at what it says. Since this is the NIV. Since, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things about where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things about, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden. Understand that. Hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. That is the reason why it's called a mystery of godliness. Godliness is a mystery. It's only revealed to us. It's a revelation that God gives us. It's a mystery of, the, of godliness. It's the mystery of the kingdom. It says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But unto them who are outside, it is all parables. It's a parable. They don't understand it. But you know, if if God speaks to you in parables, he doesn't want you to understand. You know that? That's exactly. If I, if I have spoken to you in parables, the reason why he has given, he has spoken to you in parables is because you do not, you should not understand. That's what he told. For all those people, I speak to them in parables so that seeing they will not see, hearing they will not hear, and knowing they will not understand. But unto you, it has been given to, the, to, the, to know the mystery. What is mystery? means it's revelation. Revelation of the kingdom. The ways of the kingdom. The, the ways of God and the truths of God and the, and the heart of God is revealed only to his people whose life is hidden with Christ and God. For others, it is a mystery. So what is a mystery for your trust? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a hidden life. So you know what I tell you? Have a hidden life with God. Where you have communion with God. He knows you in secret. It says, let not your right, don't, don't do your righteous acts before men to be seen by men. But, do your righteous acts in secret where God sees. When he sees in secret, he will reward you openly. 
cultivate a hidden life in God. And other people will not be able to understand because they are not able to look. They don't have that relationship with him, therefore they don't have faith. That's the basis for the trust. Look at what it says. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 onwards. For, it, for we do not want you to be unaware. In other translations, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. You see that? He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Amen. You see, he is the basis of our strength. Second question, you know what he'll ask? What is the, read that. What is the source? What is the ground of your strength? What is the source? Two, two different things. And, and he shows a taunt. Throws, throws a taunt. Second Kings chapter 18. Now look, you're trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt. On which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Now tell me, what is the one word which is being repeated in this entire chapter? Can anybody say that? Loudly? Trust. It is not, I love God. It is, I trust God. The question is, what is the basis of your trust and what is the source of your trust? And look at what he says. This broken reed, Egypt. What is the source? You know, pastor keeps telling us, no? Our church is half orphans. And God looks at all of us and he says, what is the source of your trust? What is the source? See, we may be working in the world, but we are not dependent on the world. We may be in the world. And then the enemy knows it. You are trusting in Egypt, right? But Egypt is mine. I know. I can calc- I can manipulate it. Tomorrow it can fall. That is the reason why he says, he, te- he tells Jesus, Fall down and worship me. All these kingdoms of the world I will give you. I have the authority to give it to whomever I please. You will fall. What is the source? The source of your strength? You know, some of you might be working in software companies and and because you put your trust in God, you are not possibly getting promotion. It's quite possible. And Anne is saying yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very true, very true. See, but let me tell you something. You know what? We work in the world. We earn job, we earn money. Our, our dependence is not upon our paycheck. Our dependence upon God. Let me show you. Let me explain this to you. It looks so silly. God can use you who has no strength even from the world. You don't have credentials. Your worldly credentials, if you, if you look at your CV and you'll say, Baba, what is this? You might think. Luke's Gospel chapter 21. And he looked up and saw rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Who are putting their gifts? 
bringing that gifts double the bargain ever day nice offering and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in what two mites so he said truly i say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for god but she out of her poverty put in all the lively she she i hope she had you know what is she saying lord my dependence is not on my salary it is upon you and in the eyes of the world it looks like two mites but you know what god says in my eyes it's huge boss then some people got really offended then as some people spoke of the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations <laughs> do you want to see the building church building you want to see the pews do you want to see the the organ donated by mr and mrs jivaratnam pew donated by so and so so and so do you think this church was not was constructed on bridge donations and offerings you know what jesus said these things which you see the day will come in which one stone will not be upon the other everything will be gone but the kingdom of god is not built upon people who are dependent upon egypt our kingdom of god is built upon people whose source is god and not this world and the enemy will come and mock that look at you what does what what do you have little money no education no talent god says i have chosen the foolish i have chosen the weak i have chosen the base things of the world to confound the wise the strong and the noble that is your source of your trust so romans chapter 8 verse 31 what shall what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him freely give us what how many things all things everything pertaining to life and godliness i will have because my source is not depend upon my my company or on my promotion or on my performance it's depend upon god he is my source for you it might look tikum but for me my god is my everything that is the reason why you know what paul will say my god will supply huh ah he doesn't say our god will supply our need na 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 my god will supply you are right for me my god is there if god is there with me i don't need anything like sir was praying lord we need you the greatest requirement is you not anything else <laughs> my god so first thing what is the basis for your trust you will ask what is the source of your trust you will ask taunt you and put doubts in your heart so that you will give up and then look at what it says you think you are the only one how, how did i get this look at what it says second kings chapter 18 but if you say to me we trust in the lord our god is not he whose high places and whose altars hezekiah had taken away and said to judah and jerusalem you shall worship before this altar in jerusalem in other words you guys you offend other christians you you, you say your is the, yours is the only kind of worship that god accepts you're so conservative and you think that you're holy and better than other people you see 
You see, um, I'm not saying that there is no room for compromise. For example, I'll tell you where compromise is allowed. Okay, example. Your wife and you had a discussion. I said, let's go to KFC. And she says, let's go to Subway. Where do we go? Subway. Thank you, Samir. That is compromise. That is where compromise is allowed because ultimately for man, he just needs brown bread and butter. Not, my wife is a connoisseur, as I said, no, she likes to enjoy her, you know, I want to fill my belly. So our purpose is only to fill our belly, so we can compromise there. No problem. But, you see, someone, I think Warren Weasby said, in essentials, unity. No compromise on essentials. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. But you know what happens? They will say, oh, do you think you are the only one? Holy Church me Abba? You are the only people? All the others are not holy? I didn't say that. No. But uh, they will not say, but your life is convicting me. Sorry. I didn't say that. You are the only one? You are the worship gala. Everything is a church. Who told you that everything is a church? Every place is a church. not a church. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, 3, it says, the wisdom of God is being revealed to the principalities and powers of darkness through the church. You tell me some place where the wisdom of God is being revealed, where the heavens are being shaken, where the powers of darkness are being shaken. That is a church. Not any place. As one, my, one, one of my uncles said, you can call yourself Methodist, Baptist, but you're all Papist. You see? You need to understand that. So, essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Choose for yourself. That is the reason why Daniel purposed in his heart, Baba, and some people who got convicted came came alongside Daniel. Other fellows would have said, Just because we are eating, we become non-Jewish? What nonsense. They compromised. Fine. God did not use them. It's your choice. Not, God has never gone to impinge upon your free will. No. You think you are the only one? You see, and, and, and they say, okay, fine. Where are the numbers? So many altars that you're, you see, there are no numbers in your church. So, such a small, this is a church. I, I don't know who said that. I, I, I was talking to one brother. One of his relatives said, uh, me church, they can't preach just Bible, huh? How to come and listen? Small church. How come this is a church? Let's move on. You think you are the only one? Then, the next one. Give up. You have no strength. Look at what it says. Now therefore I urge you. Give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria. And I will give you 2000 horses. <laughs> if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel the captain of the least of my master's servants. And put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen. He says, he says look at your army. 
I'll give you 2,000 horses. Find one fellow who can train them and get this army of horses and try to fight the least of my people. You know, one, one man of God put a very interesting, uh, you know, commentary on this. You know what he says? Satan is not itching for a fight. When he's coming and taunting you, he thinks, he thinks, he, it's like, you know, two people who don't want to fight. But you know, they, they just want to show off their strength. It's like that, no? The conflict, but that fellow will not, he's, he's not going to lift his fist because he's all scared. He's not itching for a fight. That is what Satan is. He, he comes and intimidates. He doesn't want you to fight. And when he intimidates, he wants you to give you up, give up. That's what he wants to do. Look at what he says. Satan is not itching for a fight. You know what he says? First, there is a strong chance you will win. He knows it. Okay. Second, win or lose, the battle can draw you closer to God. And then he says, what the Lord does in your life through the battle can be a great blessing to other people. So he does not want you to fight. He just wants you to compromise and give up. He just wants you to give up. I'll tell you something, no? Lot of people don't understand this. You take a stand for God. You will see the ripple effect it will have in your life. You may not see in your generation, but in your generations to come. I'll give you an example, okay? It's happening even now in our own generation. How many of you know David Wood? Oh, how many of you know Nabil Qureshi? Nabil Qureshi, raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Seeking Allah, finding Jesus. Every might have, most of you might have read that book. Who brought Nabil Qureshi to the Lord? David Wood. Very good. Who brought David Wood to the Lord? Nobody knows. I'll tell you the story. David Wood was in prison because he was socio, he was a sociopath. He almost, he, he almost murdered his father and he had some psychological problem and he was put in prison. In the prison, he met a Christian. Okay. And that Christian, and he was an atheist and he was a Christian and he believed in, that, that guy was on fire for God. His life used to convict this fellow, David Wood, and he wanted to Always put him down. So one day he started fasting. Who was who started fasting? The prison Christian friend started fasting. Oh, he said, "You what? You Christians only can fast. I can also fast." So he also started fasting. So the people in the prison thought he wanted to kill himself, and they put him in solitary confinement. Then over a period of time, this guy, his life was so convicting and one day that guy introduced him to Jesus and David Wood came to know the Lord. But you know how that guy who came to prison, came to prison? How did he come to know the Lord? He was a felon. He's committed a lot of crimes, including a lot of thefts. He Somebody shared the gospel with him and he got converted and he radically changed. After he got convicted, he said, I committed so many crimes, I have to make restitution for it. So the only way to make restitution is go to the police station and to confess all my crimes. So he went to the police station, confessed all his crimes and the judge said, because you have confessed all your crimes, we are going to give you five years in imprisonment. He came to prison because of his confession. That is where he met David Wood. David Wood came to know the Lord. David Wood met Nabil Qureshi and rest is history. 
And millions, if not hundreds and thousands of Muslims have heard the gospel to that one fellow. You know why? Because one guy, you know what he did? He went to the police station and confessed his crimes. Millions and millions, if not hundreds of thousands of Muslims are getting saved. That's the ripple effect. You know what? Enemy knows that ripple effect. He says, what the Lord does in your life through the battle can be a great blessing to others. You go, take a stand for God. You never know how many people will be touched. You know what enemy wants to do? He is not, he's not itching for a battle. He wants you to give up. He wants you to give up. Give up the fight. Even before you start, you want to give up because you get intimidated by his power and his strength. Give up. You have no strength. You know, this man of God says, no, Satan would much rather not fight you at all. He would much rather try to talk you into giving up. See? So if you have, first thing he says, what is the basis for your trust? Second, what is the source of your trust? Third, do you think you are the only one? Fourth, don't fight. Give up. You can't. You have very little strength. But you know what it says to one of the churches? You have very little strength, but you have kept my word. You have kept my word. And therefore, I'm going to save you from the tribulation. And the next very popular taunt. Read that. God is punishing you for your sins. How many of you have heard that? It is my karma. How did I say that? Second Kings chapter 18. Have I now come up to you without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. God is punishing you for your sins. You sinned against the Lord. I know what you did. You can't hide from me. You see, in the spiritual realm, nothing is hidden. Okay. You can have a front before people, but enemy knows. And God knows. See, I, 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 I'm scared of deliverance ministry, not because I'm scared of the deliverance part. I'm actually not scared of the deliverance part per se. I'm scared of uh, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But Vijay, Evaru? That I don't want. I'm scared of that. Honestly. A healing ministry, okay, fine. In the name of Jesus, be healed. But deliverance ministry, that is a battle. Boss, you have to have a clear conscience before God and before man all the days of your life. Because in the spiritual realm, they know your name. Whether you are for God or you are against God. Nothing is hidden. In the name of Jesus whom Paul. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? Nothing is hidden in the spiritual realm. Okay, so take this to heart my dear brothers and sisters. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Settle accounts with God every day of your life. Because tomorrow is already late. In fact, today is itself is late if you postpone it in five minutes. You, know, you never know when you, when you have the chance to repent. 
So God, so the first thing he says, he says, God is punishing you for your sins. You see, look at what it says in, so, so how do we battle this therefore? How do we battle this? You know, this is one of my favorite verses, and I'm sure it's your, it's your favorite verses, verse 2. It says in Micah chapter 7. Look at what it says in Micah chapter 7, verse 8 onwards. You know, John Piper calls it gutsy guilt. <laughs> How can guilt ever be gutsy? But this is gutsy guilt. Okay. Look at what he says. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. You know, when I saw this verse for the first time in my life, it hit me, you know, because it was like, what a source of encouragement. You can go to the Lord and be absolutely 100% honest with Him. What He says, when I fall, I will arise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Sure, I will bear the indignation of the Lord, yes, because I have sinned against Him. I'm not going to deny that. Until he pleads my my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue, lying or otherwise for me, which will rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn for this is our heritage as the servants of the Lord because our vindication comes from him. He is our righteousness. By this he shall be known. The Lord our righteousness. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see. And shame will cover her who said, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. Hallelujah. You see that? This is what he does. You come to God. Come clean, boss. You know, there's no shame. Once the Lord has accepted you, there's no shame. Premier husband. I don't have a husband. You, don't, you spoke the truth. And after that, boy, what happened to her? She ran back into the town and she said, here a man, he knows everything that I did. Everything. You bring it to light. It's gone. Because God is not punishing for punish. You might have, you might bear the consequences for your sin, but the punishment for your sin is not you. It's not being borne by you. Jesus has taken the punishment for you on the cross. Yes, consequences will be there. But there's no punishment. God is not punishing you. Let's go on. Second Corinthians chapter, uh, Second Kings chapter 18. Okay, uh, sorry. That's, uh, God is punishing you for your sins. That's the next part. Next one is, you will become lonely. First thing, what did I say? What is the basis for your trust? Second, what is the source of your trust? Third, okay, do you think you are the only one? Fourth, what is that? God is, what, I, I forgot that. What is that? What is that? You have no strength, give up easily. Yes, for this, you have no strength, give up easily. Five, God is punishing you for your sins. Sixth, you will become lonely. Okay. Suddenly everybody, all young people, they are looking at me. Amma, lonely, I pogodu. 
Second Kings chapter 18 verse 26. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to us, your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in Hebrew, in, in the hearing of all the people who are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said to him, Has my master sent me to your master and to speak to the, these words and not to the men who sit on the wall? There's a lot of people who are sitting on the wall. We call them Gopi. Godamida Pilli. Okay. What are they? Gopi. Not the Gopi from GSS, but Gopi. Who still are just, they're just waiting. Okay, will this succeed? I'll then jump in. If there, if I, if it does not succeed, I will jump out. And there are people who are there right before the, the emissaries, not emissaries, they're not emissaries, they're mercenaries actually. And then you have people on the wall. And you know what? He says, okay, okay, don't, don't speak like that. You know, all those people, they will leave us and go. We will become lonely. You will become lonely. You will be the only one who will be fighting this. That's what Elijah said. Lord, <laughs> I am the only one who is left. You will become lonely. There will be no company. What, what should your attitude be? I think a man of God has to be prepared to walk lonely. To be lonely. Because after Mathusala was born, Enoch walked with the Lord. It doesn't say Enoch's family walked. No. It says who walked? It doesn't say Enoch's friends walked. It says who walked? Enoch. Honestly, all of us have to come to the point where you say, Lord, even if everybody walks away, I should still be standing. You see, I, I didn't say that. Look at what it says in Second Timothy chapter 4. Be diligent to come to me quickly. <laughs> For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed from Thessalonica. Boy, when I saw this first in, my, in the Bible, I said, boy, who is this Demas Baba? Worked with Paul. Co-laborer with Paul. Can you imagine Apostle Paul being your mentor? Think about it. Imagine Silas and Apostle Paul, Timothy and Paul. Just imagine all those journeys in Acts chapter 5. Being his mentor, he departed. And has departed to Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me in my ministry. And look at what he says. Look at what he says. The next verse. At my first defense, how many people stood by me? No one stood with me, but all forsook me, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Look at that. You see that? Are you prepared to walk alone in the office? Even if anybody doesn't, nobody comes and stands by, 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 beside you and says, we are with you. We are with you. I remember my first Bible study in Triple IT. Okay. First Bible study. We had a, we started a Bible study. All the believers came together and we had a Bible study in one of the students room, hostel rooms. So we, that time I was doing the basics. Okay. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, etc. We, we said, let's do a Bible study on the, on the basics. And we were all discussing that. Over a period of time, they were all, you know, it was really, really a very nice response that was coming. And whenever you have a response, you always have 
adversary. Among them was one guy. I don't want to take his name. He was really getting convicted. For the first time I showed them, no? They don't, they don't know this verses. If in this life only, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 18. Uh, in this, if in this life only you have hope in Christ Jesus, you have all the people are the most miserable. When I showed them the verse, they looked at the verse for the first time and their eyes was popping out of their sockets. They have never come across verses like that. In other words, they have never read it. Even if they read it, they didn't think it was for them. One guy was there. She was so upset. No, it was, there was a, and he started saying, how can you say this? How can you say this? How can you say this? The moment he started saying that, how can you say this? How can you say this? There was just a bunch of new believers and one guy from, from Hindu background who just came. And one senior believer, another senior believer discussing and fighting. You know, over a period of time, what has happened? Slowly everybody departed and only one or two will be left with you. But will you compromise? Only one or two will be left with you. Will you still compromise? Everybody will forsake. Only you and your wife will be left. Will you still walk with the Lord? Even your wife might go away. Will you still walk with the Lord? One might say and say, curse God and die. Like Job. Job's wife. Will you say? What will you say? Will you stand alone? And you know, enemy will, will, we, we, we need that, right? This is one of our needs. You know what one of our needs is? We need some support, approval of men. We all need. But that is something which we have to fight every day of our lives. Our security is only in God and no one else. See? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That was his purpose. You know what it says in Galatians chapter 2? He confronted Peter. He said, Peter, you're not li- walking in line with the gospel. What would, what would have happened if Peter would have said, what do you mean? I am the senior apostle over here. Just imagine. Just imagine. Thank God Peter didn't say that. What do you mean? I'm the senior apostle over here. And Paul took that risk. He would still walk alone. Because he said, if I were to please men. I should not be the servant of Christ. I will have the choice. Even if I become lonely, I will still walk with the Lord. Because if God is on my side, I am still not lonely. That is an experience. It is an experience. You will become lonely. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. And preserve me for his holy kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see that? So, you will become lonely. How many of you are scared of becoming lonely? See? I should not be the only one. Some support should be there. Who's there? You will be tested over this over and over again. Okay? So, you will become lonely. Next one. You will become lonely. So, let us just review it. What is the Basis for your faith. Second, what is the source of faith? Third, do you think you are the only one? Fourth, what is that? Give up. You have very little strength. You will become lonely. Seventh one. This is the seventh one. Your leaders deceive. Don't listen to them. Your leaders deceive. Don't listen to them. How, how many of you have heard this? Ah. They are deceiving you. Don't listen to them. I heard it several times in 12 years. 
I mean 11 years, 12 years. They are deceiving. Don't listen. Listen only to God. You know, in, in, in Corinthians, you know what it says? Uh, Zach Kunin made a very interesting statement. He says, uh, is, Christ defi- is Christ divided? Some people say, I am of Paulus. Some people say, I am of Apollos. Some people say, I am of Cephas. Some people say, I am of Christ. In this four people, four kinds of people, who are the most dangerous? Guess. I am of Paulus. I am of Peter, Peterus or Caiaphas. I am of Apollos. I am for Christ. I am of Christ. Among these four categories of people who are the most dangerous, people who say, I am of Christ. I don't have anybody on my head. I only follow God. I have a direct hotline with him. Who told you, Baba? I never see those patterns in the Bible. Those are the most dangerous. Those what, those are, those, those are what, what I call loose electrons. Be very careful. Very, very caustic. They are sodium. Okay, you put water, boom, gone. Yeah, they get offended very easily. They'll run from one church to another. They will always have problem with pastors. Or more pastors. Your leaders deceive. Don't listen to them. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? The first voice Samuel heard, even it was even if it was the voice of God, he heard he heard it as if it was a voice of who? Eli. Do you see that? That's a pattern. Children, you know whom the Lord speaks to you? He doesn't speak to you directly, he speaks to you through your parents. Students, through your teachers. I'm connected to God. Let me tell you something. This is absolute deception. How, I mean, it says, right, in John's Gospel, it says, 1 John chapter 4 or 5, it says, how can you say to a brother whom you see who is in need and they say that I love you and you don't help them and say, I love God whom you do not see. Now tell me, how can I trust you if you say, I only submit to Christ whom you cannot see but when you don't submit to somebody, a boss whom you can see. No, tell me. Think about it. What kind of a logic is that? Your leaders deceive. Don't hear, don't listen to them. My God, this is one of the most incredible deceptions of the enemy. Especially in these last days. And it, this is a, a tremendous act of faith. You see, remember the, when the centurion comes and he asks Jesus, Jesus come and, uh, uh, my, my, my servant is ill, please come and heal, uh, please, uh, do something about it. And Jesus says, I will come to your house. You know what he says? Lord, I am not worthy of you coming to my house. I also am a man under authority. You say go. You just speak the word. It will happen because I am. I also say people go. They go. I also say people come. I come. You know when Jesus looks at him, he says, boy, I have not seen such a faith, not in Israel. Boy, what a man under authority. See, people who don't submit authority. Look at what it, that's what it says. Your leaders deceive, don't listen. First Kings chapter 18, second Kings chapter 18, verse 13. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver, deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. See that. <laughs> Look at this is Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 onwards. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as you. <laughs> 
So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for the building you up rather than tearing you down, he goes on to say, I do not want you to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. He is deceiving. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Danda leke marte. Amazing. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ. Who promised? I promised. So who was mentoring them? Paul was mentoring them. Who was making them into a bride of Christ? Paul was making them into a bride of Christ, of course, through the anointing and through the authority of the Holy Spirit as an apostle. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, look at what it says, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How? For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus which I have preached, you will accept him freely, but us you will reject. Because you have swallowed the lie. Don't listen to your elders. They deceive you. Don't listen. When this is there, this, see, the way the enemy discredits the message of the gospel is by slandering the messenger. That's the only way he can do it. If he cannot touch the messenger, he will slander him. Look at what it says. I mean, this is there in through scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 7 onwards. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enha- enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, and look at what he says. As some slanderously claim that we say, in other words, don't listen to Paul. He is deceiving you. It's there. So don't listen to your elders. They're deceiving you. Next, you know what he says? Listen to me. I will prosper you. Boah. This is the ultimate. He will discredit everything. And will bring to a, bring you to a point. Surrender to me. I will prosper you. Look what it says. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king Assyria. Make peace with me. Buy a present. And come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own wine. And every one of you sit under his own fig tree. I will give you your American dream. Who, to, who promised you every man under his victory and his wine? Jesus promised. But who says, I will promise? You come and worship me. I will prosper you. Why do you want to take all these shortcuts? I mean, well, this path of suffering and all. Come on, I will prosper you. Just give me a gift. Just give me your soul. That's all. That's the king of king of, uh, of, of, of Sodom. Bera, the king of Sodom. That is called Bera gospel, like pastor says. Bera gospel. Take the money. Give me the souls. I'll prosper. What Abraham says, I will not even take a shoelace from you. Lest you say that Pera has made Abraham rich. I have raised my hands to the God of heaven. 
That is the reason why it says in John's one John, I'm sorry, third, third, third epistle of John, they have gone out taking what? Nothing from the Gentiles. Nothing from the Gentiles. Make peace with me. Buy a present, come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own wine, and every one of you from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink from the waters of his own cistern. Says, Jeremiah says, my people have committed two crimes. They have forsaken the source of living water and they have hewn for them cisterns, broken cisterns which can hold no water. And you do anything without God, you will fail miserably or you will succeed even more miserably. Like pastor says, it doesn't become an American dream, it becomes the American nightmare. You see, that is what both sides of the aisle are talking about. I mean, if you go to the go to America, you have the liberals and you have the conservatives. Both of them are promising the American dream. What is American dream? Beautiful suburban, four BHK apartment with a backside swimming pool, nice porch, and a dog, and two gadi in your garage. All on EMI for sure, but that's okay. It's called mortgage. What gauge? You know what mortgage means? Death trap. Mortis gauge. But that is your American dream. And when the housing bubble collapsed, you know what it became? It became the American nightmare. Come to me. I will prosper you. Every man, his roti, his kapada and dogadi. But nowadays it's no longer even in India, no. I mean, you go to Gachibali and all these places, it has uh, completely changed now. Everybody is only driving SUV. And how many people in that car? Yes. One. Okade, okadu. One. In the SUV. You see that? Do not listen to them. Make peace with me. By present and come out to me and every one of you eat from his own wine and every one of you from his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, boy. Land of grain and new wine and land of bread and vineyards and land of olive oils and honey that you may live and not die. I also put before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose. You see that? That is what we call Devil transforming himself into what? An angel of light. Lest he pursued you saying the Lord will deliver us. Make peace. Listen to me. I will prosper you. Matthew chapter 4 verse 8. Again the devil took him up on exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And you know what he said? Jesus answered, away with you, Satan. Other translations, get thee behind me, Satan. He told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God. You are mindful of things of things of man. Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. You shall worship and you shall serve. You shall worship, 
you shall serve. Worship always precedes service. That is how the enemy compromises slowly, slowly, slowly. He wants to compromise your worship. What did Pharaoh tell, uh, for, for, tell Moses? You want to worship God outside? No, 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 no. Worship God in the land. Oh, you want to worship God? Okay, okay, okay. But don't go too far. You want to worship God? Okay, okay, okay. Who, all the men go, women stay. You want to worship God? Okay. Men, women, children go. Let your possessions be here. But what, what did Moses say? All of us will go out. Every one of us. Every one of our possessions. And we will worship God. Three days worship. Three days, three days journey into the wilderness. No compromise. No compromise. You know, point, if you compromise ultimately like this, you know what happens? You will come into the final line. You know what is the final line? Your God is as powerless as our God's. You know, many, 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 many Christians, their lives don't matter. <laughs> Black lives master, matter, but Christians' life don't matter. They don't matter. Their life is not a challenge to the people who are in the, in the world. What are they worried about? They are also worried about Rodi Kapada Makan. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where shall we get educated? And what does Jesus say? All these things who seek, the Gentiles seek. What is the difference between you and them? So when you do the same thing, you are actually making your God like the other gods. Powerless like them. Your God is like our God. Powerless. Your standards, our standards don't, they're not, there's no match. There's no integrity. There's no honesty. I mean, you go to CA, you should see so many Christian organizations. How they fudge their accounts with the CA. I mean, we refuse to give a bribe. And you refuse and they get so upset. How come you are the only people, all the other pastors also are doing the same thing? Why are you doing it differently? This way? Then you have to fight your own case. I said, okay. I'll fight my own case. I'll go to the income office myself. Every time I used to go, I used to go, I used to go, I used to go. You wouldn't believe it. Our 12-way was ready. Tax exemption certificate was ready. It was there on the desk of the income tax officer. They would, they refused to give me. You know what? They called my CA. You know what they said? Unless this guy gives, we are not giving. And the CA said, sir, if you don't give, sir, our business will go for a... And you know what, what, what pastor told the CA? I'm going to give you, you give me a receipt. I don't care what you do, but I need a receipt. In my accounts, I have to put that receipt. No, 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 sir, we can't do that. Otherwise, then I'm not giving. Finally, okay, sir, this is the first and the last time we are doing. Thank you. Please write, please, you can say all those things. Please sign the receipt here. Other, other believers are also doing What's the difference between you and them? Look at what it says in 2nd Kings chapter 18. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hanad and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim and Hena and Eva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? In other words, who's Samaria? Is the northern kingdom. Have they not all compromised? Are there different Christians than you? Judah? Have they not compromised? Has Samaria not fallen? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from me? Have the Christians given this kind of an audacity to the devil? 
He can speak like that with impunity and get away with it. Who can taunt God's people and there is not a David who will rise and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared to defy the armies of the living God? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Your God is powerless. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land? Then what happened? But the people, thank God, held their peace. This is for you for the next, how many days? Six days. Answered him. Not a word for the king's command was, do not answer him. What do you do? Zip your mouth. Don't open your mouth. Don't confess anything. Then what happens? Second Kings chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. It starts by the elder humbling himself. And he says, he's not going to answer Satan. He's going to go to the Lord. Maybe all his taunts, tauntings are true. Maybe they are. In some of your lives, it could, it could be true. You have given up on the Lord. You have start, you've stopped fighting. You have given up on sin. You're not fighting sin at all. You have compromised with sin. I can never defeat this sin. I can never defeat lust. I can never defeat pornography. I can never defeat anything. I have succumbed, I have succumbed to this and I have made my peace with it. Maybe. But do you want to defeat the enemy? Do you want to succumb to your fear? And Hezekiah, you know what Hezekiah does, right? He goes to the temple and he says, go and tell Isaiah, please cry to the Lord. Who's God? Your God, not my God. His God. Isaiah says, okay, okay, okay. Fine, 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 fine. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I'll pray for you. He will not do anything. But the enemy is not going to leave. Next time, next thing what is, what is going to happen is this. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 14 onwards. And Hezekiah received the letter. This time what did he receive? First, first it was a threat. Second, it was people who came and spoke to him and tried to intimidate him. Third, he sent a letter. What is a letter? Letter is an authority. Remember, Jezebel making letters in the name of King Ahab to get false accusations, it's a letter. During Nehemiah's time, when they were constructing the temple, what happened? There were letters sent from the king to stop the rebuilding of the temple or the walls. Letters. Letters symbolize authority. Could be true. It says, Colossians chapter 2, the handwriting of ordinances, that was what? Against you. What did he do? He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He took away the authority of the devil over your life. Colossians chapter 2. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. And what did he do? He spread it before the Lord. Spread it. Showed. Kalachitapura Koldia. Oh God, this is who I am. And what the enemy is saying about me is true. Look at this Lord. This is what I am, Lord. 
Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, Oh God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and the earth. Now tell me, between the cherubim is what? The mercy seat. What is he imploring? Lord, you are a God of mercy, Lord. Mercy, 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 Lord. Mercy, Lord. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, the Lord, truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they, they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. What did he do? He went to the house of the Lord and he opened, you know what he did? He poured out his heart before God. You know, some of there were some very interesting commands in the Bible. Very interesting commands which we overlook. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desire. What is it? Is it a command or a suggestion? Command. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things with prayer and supplications, let your victories be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Command or a suggestion? Be anxious for nothing. Come on. Pour out your heart before the Lord. Command or a suggestion? Are you sure? Let me show you. Psalm 62. My soul, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. How many of you do that? Pour your heart. No, 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 no. You pour your heart towards, uh, before your girlfriend. I opened my heart. That's what Samson did. Every secret he told. Pour your heart before your boyfriend. But did you ever pour out your heart before God? Did you? Lord, think about it. Just, just can you imagine what a God we have? You can share with him your deepest secrets and your darkest secrets. You can share with him and say, Lord, this is what I am. I can't hide from you. Will he not accept? Because it's a command. It's a command. Pour your heart before God. What do we do? We pick up the phone and pour our heart to the pastor. Pastor. Relation. My girlfriend dumped me. My boss kicked me out. All hope is gone, pastor. Pastor is not God. Pastor is not a priest, like in the old covenant. Pastor is not a priest, like in your temple, who will do archana for you. He will ask your gotram and say, gotram No, no, no. He is not going to do archana for you. You know what pastor can do? He will say, you know what? I can't save. Did, you know what Paul, Paul and uh, Barnabas went into that place? Oh! Zeus has come! 
The gods have come. You know what they did? They tore their clothes and they said, you know what? We are just mere men like you. Why are you worshipping us? Pour your heart toward God and not before man. Pour your heart. You know what God does when you pour your heart? When you are honest with him and God likes that. You know, honesty. Kya baat hai? You, you, will, you, can, you can be absolutely free before God. And that experience nobody can explain. It is subjective completely to you. When your conscience is clear with God and with man, it will show on your face. You will not be gloomy. You will not be depressed. There will be a smile on your face. There will be joy in your heart. Verse 20, 2 Kings chapter 19. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you prayed to me, you opened your heart to me, against the against Sennacherib king of Israel, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. He spoke so many words. But I will speak something concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion has despised you. You despised him, right? He, that powerless creature has despised you. You thought he was powerless. He is despising you. Laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. <laughs> In other words, the, the enemy was taunting and showing off and he was saying, ah, you don't know my God. You don't know my God. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. Now he is going to address the king of Assyria. Now he is going to go beyond it. Look at what it says, the next verse, in verse 27. But I know your dwelling place. Who is this fellow? Satan himself. You are going out and you are coming in and your rage against me, I know it. And your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. I will turn, I will turn you back by the way which you came. And this is possible in the spiritual realm. It may not be possible in the physical, but it is possible in the spiritual. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come here into the city, nor shoot an arrow, nor come before you with shield, nor build a siege against you. By the way that he came, by the same way shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord. Then what happens? For I will defend the city, save it for my own sake, my servant David's sake. Do you know why? Because I am a God who made a covenant that I will establish the throne of David forever. I made a covenant with him. Then what happens? And it came to pass on a certain night. We don't know. It happened in the night. Fight the spiritual works of darkness in the night. That the angel of the Lord went and killed the camp of Assyrians. 180,000. Finished. Gone. In one night. Can you ma- I mean, I, I can't, I just can't imagine this, okay? This, this is, this is crazy. 185,000 people arose early in the morning. They were all corpses, dead. One night. One night. Deliverance of God. One night. You see? But you know what happens in the process? Many people give up their fight. I don't have any strength. I'm giving up. But I want to be like Hezekiah. What? Hezekiah? Perfect. Did he have any strength? 
Was he perfect? No. If you look at his life, he had so many mistakes that he has done. He also had pride. His heart was lifted up. When Micah came, he, some people wanted to stone him, but they said, no, 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 don't stone him. All these things happened in his life. He was a man just like us. He was not any special. And he had a father who was so bad. But yet, he came to the Lord and he opened and he poured out his heart before God. And he said, Lord, look at this. This is my life. Please, can you save me? So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away. Returned home, remained in away. Now it came to pass as he was worshipping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons Aramelech, Adramelech and Sharezer struck him down with a sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esher, Hadon, his son, reigned in his place. You know what he did? First he feared. Second faith arose. You know what finally he did? He surrendered. This is what I am Lord. Do with me. You fight my battle. And when he surrendered, God looked at him and he said, Angel, please go. Finish them off. Over. You know, your deliverance is there, right there in the corner. Right there. Right there it is there. But you know what? Many people just give up on their marriages. They give up on their, on their children. They give up praying for their loved ones. But if you would have tarried that one last night and poured your heart before God. Poured your heart before God. Deliverance is nothing. But God is looking for people who will be honest with him and they will, you know what? They will not answer to the taunts of the enemy. They will only go before the Lord and open it and say, Lord, this is what I am. Because the enemy will accuse. But this morning, if you want to be free, many of you are under condemnation and guilt. I know it. I face condemnation and guilt from time to time. Condemnation, guilt paralyzes you. Paralyzed with condemnation and guilt. You cannot. Everybody has forgiven you. God has also forgiven you. You will not forgive yourself. Paralyzed. This morning, you can come and say, Lord, I want to pour out my heart toward you, Lord. I will open my heart. Lord, you see my life. Yes, Lord, are the accusations of the enemy? They are true. But Lord, let him not rejoice over me. Plead my cause. Let my righteousness shine. Can we all stand this morning in the house of God? The taunts of the enemy. Tempting to compromise. And give up our fight. This morning. If you are there at the verge of giving up. Say Lord. Lord. Touch me this clear Lord. Let faith arise in my heart. I do not want to give up. Yes, Lord, even till last night I fell. But today, Lord, today your mercies are new every morning. That's what your word says. And therefore I come to you and I plead for the God who sits between the cherubim and the mercy seat. And I plead for mercy. Because your word says, come boldly and confidently to the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. Through the new and the living way made possible by the body and the blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. Lord, we want to honestly, Father, be transparent before you. Father, we want to be like Nathaniel, O oh Lord. We want to be like that man to whom you said, blessed a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. 
no deceit. A man who is absolutely transparent before me. This That is what you said in Psalm 32. Blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven. Whose iniquity is purged. To whom the Lord will not impute his sin. And in whose spirit there is no guile. Oh Jesus. We want to pour out our heart before you this morning. You know our heart. You know our struggles. You know our compromises. You know where we have made made peace with the enemy. But this morning, oh Lord, we want to confess our sin. We want to come back to you, oh Lord. We want to win this battle, oh Lord Jesus. We want to depend upon you. You fight the battle, oh Lord. We don't want to give up. We don't want to give up praying for the loved ones. We don't want to give up praying. We don't want to give up fighting for that same sin that we are being defeated in, oh Lord. Every day of our lives we are being defeated. But Lord, you promised sin shall not have dominion over us because we are no longer under grace or under law but we are under grace oh lord oh father we confess oh lord our need for mercy our need for grace and lord we pour out our hearts before you you know our hearts you know our hearts oh lord you know our hearts you said in your word those who father hide their sin will not prosper but those who confesses and forsakes will Obtain mercy. Oh, Father, this morning we want to confess and we want to obtain mercy, oh Lord. We want to forsake our sin. Oh, Jesus, we want to pour out our hearts. Oh, Father, we don't want to speak, oh Lord. We don't want to speak a word, oh Lord. We want to speak a word only to you. We want to speak to you. We want to commune with you. We don't want to speak to any man as we heard this morning. Oh, Jesus, grant us grace that we will draw close to you, oh Lord, through this next six days. Father, we will examine our hearts. We will pour out our hearts before you you and Lord you wrought a mighty miracle. Oh Father wrought a mighty miracle oh Lord. Lord let God arise and let your enemies be scattered in the name of Jesus. Oh Father the, the armies and the and the chariots of God are tens of thousands. They can taunt us and say what is your strength? You cannot handle the horse but Lord our, our strength is not in horses or chariots. Our strength is in you oh Lord. In God we trust oh Lord this morning. We want to trust in you. Oh Father we want to trust in you for Forgive us our unbelief. Forgive us our unbelief. When we shortened your hand in our life because of our unbelief, Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Enable us to believe. Enable us to believe. Enable us to move out of our comfort zones because your word says, oh Lord, the word of God has got power to do, to work in those who believe and we want to believe this morning, oh Lord. We want to believe for great and mighty things that our lives will be a blessing to many, oh Lord. Oh Jesus, br- Lord, Father, you are able to use. You are no respecter of persons, oh Lord. You're not looking at our eloquence. You're not looking at our talents. You're not, look, not looking at our education. You're not look, looking at our strength, our background. Nothing matters to you, oh Lord. You're looking for a heart which is absolutely surrendered and a heart which is willing to pour out itself before you. Oh Lord, we come to you this morning as a church and we want to pour out as individuals before you, oh Lord. Oh Jesus, do a work in our hearts. A deep work. Deep work, oh Lord. Thank you. Transform us. Lord, forgive us if we have allowed the taunts of the enemy, oh Lord, to creep into our hearts and compromise. Oh Father, forgive us, forgive us. In those, even in those little, little areas, show us. Father, enable us to bring it to light, confess it and forsake it and enable us to obtain mercy. Grant us the gift of repentance, oh Lord. Radical repentance we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. Commit every one of your children into your hearts, oh Lord. Oh Father, let there be Hezekiahs here, oh Lord, who will go to your temple, oh Lord, who will pour out their hearts before you in their secret process of prayer. Father would say enough Lord of defeat. Enough of rebellion. Enough Lord. 
I want my life to matter for the, for eternity, for your kingdom. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Father, we want to surrender our lives. Even if it is in, going to cause us inconvenience. Because it will cause us inconvenience, oh Lord. Oh Father, enable us. May you find such young men, such young women and such old men and old women in this sanctuary this morning. Who will take this word, believe it and go into the secret closets of prayer and cry out to you and stand still and see the salvation of the living God in their lives. Oh Father, grant us grace this morning. We thank you. We praise you. Yes, Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.